Good afternoon. How y'all doing? Are we good? Yes, there is life in the room, right? Guys, it is good to see you. Listen, this morning in the Wilson household has been very exciting. My son's 11th birthday today. Very early up, opening gifts and singing happy birthday, getting all excited. And uh, it is another step toward making me feel very old, though, by all accounts. And, uh, you know, I, I realized that uh, it was just over a week ago when uh, my, my daughter asked me a question, which especially made me feel old, because she was like, Daddy, Daddy, when, uh, when you were a little boy, like, were there cars around? Honestly, she could have said the word dinosaurs, and uh, you know, it, it made me that offended. I was so upset. Of course there were cars around. But then I suddenly had this moment of panic and thought, actually, were, were there? And so, um, so I basically I messaged, I messaged my parents and was like, just check in. When, when did you get your first car? And they were like, it was 1976. And I thought, that's great. It's fine. That's a good four years before I was born. So my indignation and frustration with my daughter still remained. You cannot ask me a question like, you know, was, was, I, uh, was I around when there were cars around? Of course I was. For many years. Four. Anyway. Now, listen. Uh, we obviously are part of a, a new series, okay? We're going to do a series, and we're partway through a series called Extraordinary Prayer, in line with the fact that these devoted packs are coming out. Guys, we want to grow into a sort of people who are you know, pursuing extraordinary devotion to God. And so I would urge you, get yourself one of these free copies, or indeed, let's buy one for some of the people who are around you, or for yourself, the journal copy, so you can be writing down what God's speaking to you about. You know the thing I'm most excited about? In fact, two things I was most excited about. Last week, I think it might even have been this service, you know, someone had gone to the table to buy a journal, but instead of buying one, they actually bought a whole stack of them to be able to bless other people as they came. But what was the most exciting thing about it is the fact that the next person was like, well, how about I buy one for someone else? And how about I want buy one for someone else? And how about I buy one? for someone else. It started this huge chain of different people blessing each other. I am glad to be part of a church like that, by the way. Well done, everyone. Great job. Now, the other thing I'm really excited about, though, is the opportunity of actually reading through the New Testament together. Okay. Now, here's the thing, though, what I've realized is that there's been a whole bunch of times, admit it if you are like me, there's been a whole bunch of times, right, when I've started a Bible plan and I've got a few weeks in and everything's going great and then I've happened to have a really busy day and I missed a day, right? And then a few days later, oh, I actually missed a couple because something was going on and we were off on holiday or something happened. And then before you know it, I'm kind of out of time and I've kind of drifted and I'm like, oh, do you know what? I need to kind of abandon that plan and I kind of stop. And that is obviously starts the frustration. Anyone else willing to admit that they've started and not finished a reading plan? Hands up around the room, I understand. Now listen, here's what I want to urge you to do, Okay. Read the day that we're on, because this gives us the opportunity about talking about it as families, talking about it in our groups, talking about it in our serving teams, talking about it in our church community. And so even if you were to miss some days or start partway through the year, read the day that you are on so that together we can grow in God as we do. Does that sound okay? Brilliant. Listen, today, guys, I'm going to be talking about the subject of praying for those who are far from God, okay? Now, I recognize that some people in the room might be thinking, I've been dragged along to church today. I don't know whether I'm even a Christian. I just want to encourage you. Today, I'm going to give you a glimpse of what God is like. But more than that, I want to let you know that I've actually been praying for you guys, and I'm glad that you are here. Okay. But before we dive into the passage from today, uh, many of you will know that right the way across our nation, in fact, many nations of the earth, they take a, a point each year to remember and Remembrance Sunday and think about, to pause and reflect on the fact that people over many generations have given their lives for the sorts of freedoms that we enjoy. And it's an appropriate thing for us to do, especially right now because of what we see happening on the news, both in the Ukraine, in Israel, in Gaza, in Palestine. But you know, as Christians, it's not just that we want to pause, reflect, and remember. We actually want to take the opportunity to pray and to ask the Prince of Peace 
to come and move in those places, to, to, to end the wars that are going on and have his kingdom come in that place. Now, the way that we're going to do that is I'm going to ask you to stand. And I've got my friend Dan here who's going to play on his French horn. He's going to play something called The Last Post. Okay, so you can stand. That's great. Now, listen, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit unusual in this place because I know we're a very clappy church. But when Dan finishes, I'm going to ask you not to clap. The reason being is because this is a moment in stillness when we can remember and when we can pray. Is that okay? Great. Dan, come on up. still our hearts guys pause to reflect and remember this day and this moment we pause to reflect and to thank you for those who have served and sacrificially given of themselves both in years gone by and across our nation and the nations of the earth to fight for freedom and to fight for justice Father we pray would you bring your peace You are the Prince of Peace, Lord Jesus. I want to speak an end to war and violence and bloodshed and suffering. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but God, you have come that we may have life and have it in all of its fullness. 
I speak life, God, over those nations just now who are suffering so badly. I pray, God, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, why don't you take your seats? Listen, if you are new to the King's Arms, you need to know that our vision is to see God's kingdom fill the earth. And we do that, friends, by uh, worshipping God, by loving other people, and by multiplying disciples, churches, and groups everywhere that we go. And you know, the big picture of that is that we want to come against where there is pain. We want to come against where there is suffering. We want to come against where there is difficulty and be part of the solution to bring life into those places. But it's interesting, you know, that we can be disheartened by what we see around us. And yet we've got this beautiful picture of what Scripture says about what it's going to be when Jesus returns. And as this conquering king, as he comes back to bring perfect justice and to bring perfect peace, to bring healing to the broken and joy evermore. Do you long for that? Sometimes I long for it, you know, so much that I'm thinking, why am I even here now? Surely we can kind of skip ahead and just kind of get to be with him in all of his fullness already. Why are we even here? Well, the answer is not because he doesn't love you, but because of the fact that he loves others so much that he's got a mission for you and I to fulfill. Put another way, God not only reached out to you, but he wants to use you to reach out to others. So friends, we've got a job to do. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what that looks like today. I'm going to read a passage from Matthew 9. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can jump to it. Matthew 9, 35 up to Matthew 10, verse 1, we're going to read. And so uh, if you haven't got a Bible or it's not on your phone, then feel free to follow along with the verse on the screen behind me. It says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness, And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. And Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Now, if you are a guest here amongst us, you are so welcome to be here. Now, we believe that Jesus is perfect theology, which means that as you look at Jesus, you're going to get a reflection of what the Father, what God is really like. And what we see through this passage is a whole bunch of things that should inspire us as to what he's like. It says that he's a good news bringer, that he's a healer of every disease and illness. He's the one who holds and gives authority to bring freedom to the captives And it also gives us this beautiful picture of how he looks at us, views us with incredible compassion. So I'm going to talk to you about two things, okay? One builds on the other. I want to talk to you about the compassion of God and then how we would pray for the lost, pray for those who are far from God in light of that, okay? Now, S.D. Gordon says, The greatest thing that anyone can do for God or for man is to pray. And we need to, though, to know personally his compassion for us first. Now, compassion is a deeply spiritual thing, and it should be both our motivation for prayer as well as our posture in prayer. 
when he saw the crowds in verse 36, it says, He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, what's interesting about the Gospels is that Jesus often uses farming language. He's wanting to relate to and speak to the people who were there at the time. And so he uses these kind of pictures and stories to be able to connect with them. Now, when he talks of a shepherd, he's talking about the sort of person who brings safety and leadership and protection, who defends the flock from enemies and looks after, tends to the weak and the wounded. And then on the other hand, oftentimes we as people are referred to as the sheep, just like this. Now, I realized, I realized the other day that my, uh, my daughter and I were going for a drive and she turned to me at one point and she, uh, she simply asked me the question, Dad, what's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done? Now, parents amongst us will know you've always got these moments of questions where you're like, all right, how much am I going to tell the truth at this point? How much do I make something up which is a little bit more palatable? Or, you know, do I just kind of ignore the question altogether? But she was really wanting to know what's the most embarrassing thing. The only thing that I could think of was something that happened when I was 13 years of age, there or thereabouts. And uh, I decided that I would share with her. She laughed, so I figured I'd share it with you. All right? There was this moment. Picture the scene. I'm stood up in the dinner queue outside of school, kind of there as a 13-year-old trying to impress people, trying to be sporty, trying to be the macho man who can cope with everything that's thrown at him. And um, I had a friend alongside me who happened to be throwing a rock up and down in the air. Now, there was this particular lady, this particular girl at the time called Laura. And I really liked Laura. And so I thought to myself, I know, I'm going to do something that she's going to be really impressed by. And I saw her walking down the side of the aisle. She was walking past the windows. And so I said to my friend, right, listen, you throw the rock in the air. I'll jump up and head the ball. <laughs> sure enough, right, she walks around the corner. I think this is my moment. So I'm like, hey, Laura, watch this. He throws the wreck in the ball. I jump up, knock myself to the ground and spend at least 30 seconds or so, huge lump on my head, practically knocked out on the floor. This did not go well. Friends, we can be in our sinful, clumsy, intentional mess, like sheep without a shepherd, all right? All of us have done things that we regret. All of us have done things that are a little bit crazy. All of us have done things that are plain stupid, like head. Anyone do anything worse than, I'm not going to ask you just now. I, what I would encourage you to do is that over, over tea and coffee, you can share each other's most embarrassing moments, all right? But here's the thing, okay? God, even in the midst of our mess, silly behavior has compassion on us. I'm so grateful he's had compassion on me. This Greek word, you know, the compassion in the uh, New Testament is a word that's called splachnizomai. Okay? Now I apologize if I've absolutely butchered that by way of a pro uh, the pronunciation, but splachnizomai. Okay? And it's a verb which, again, for the visual learners you might not like this, but it means to be moved in the bowels. All right? This is what it means. Now, I don't think that should surprise us, though, because of the fact that when there are significant moments of emotion, like grief and sorrow and heartaches and sympathy for people, it really can hit us in the pit, right? Right in the midst of our stomach, right to the very core of who we are. There's something that grips us. This is how God is moved toward us. Something that is gripping him so much. It's interesting that Alexander McLaren Speaking of the fact that Christians should be those people who live with the same compassion, says this. He says, you tell me the depth of a Christian's compassion and I will tell you the measure of his usefulness. How compassionate are we, friends? I think it's really easy. I don't know whether you're like me, but it's really easy to become weary or numb to the prospect of seeing people in painful situations, right? You walk past a whole bunch of different people who are curled up in doorways and you just kind of ignore it because you've seen it so many times. 
You see another picture in a newspaper or on the internet of a, of a boat that's desperately trying to cross the channel of people fleeing violence and persecution just to find safety for them and their family. And you become numb to it. You can see other flattened buildings and think that it's so far away from me. Guys, we've got to be so conscious of the fact that we cannot lose the compassion that God's called us to. But I'm so very grateful that I live and breathe and are connected to a church community that demonstrates compassion in so many ways. I see so many groups that are going out there to make a difference in the lives of the people who need it most. I met um, over the summer with Kate and with Jenny who have been partnering with a, a kind of group called Azalea. And their heart, their passion is to be able to support people who are street workers on our streets here in Bedford. I love that. Isn't it amazing that people aren't just thinking, oh, someone needs to do something about that. Instead, they're saying, hey, what could we do to gather people and say, I'm going to make a difference. And I'm going to stand with, and I'm going to support, and I'm going to care for, I'm going to give to people who need it most. Guys, we need to be those kind of people in this church. God cares about people. The Bible even says that he knits us together in our mother's womb. Let me tell you a cool stat that I saw this last week. Consider the human brain, okay? It's got an estimated 100 billion neurons. Now, a neuron, for those of you who don't know, and I looked it up, I'm not trying to be clever, is a neuron is the nerve cells that send messages all over your body, okay? So this allows you to do everything from breathing to talking to eating to walking to talking. Now, here's the fact of the day, okay? A baby in the womb develops an average of 250,000 new brain neurons per minute for nine months. I don't know whether there's anyone pregnant here, but you are working hard right now. (laughs) Seriously, I've been preaching maybe 10 minutes already, and I'm thinking you have gone crazy with all those neurons. That's amazing. But yet God is knitting people together in their mother's womb. It's why I'm unashamedly pro-life. One commentator said of this, passion, of this passage, he said, it may it be our prayer. I would say, may it be our prayer. He said, let me look on the crowd as my Savior did till my eyes with tears grow dim. Let me view with pity the wandering sheep and love them for love of him. I'd love for that to be true of us, guys, that we love people so well birthed out of compassion, connected to who he's called us to be. This needs to be our motivation now for praying, just as he called us to do so. Because what we see in this passage is that mission and prayer are inextricably linked together. Or you could put it another way and say, that which we do for God, we want to do with God. And I love the stories, you know. I love the stories of when someone shares with me, oh, do you know what, someone's been praying for me and this has now happened. It's phenomenal. I remember meeting a lady who was right at the back of the, uh, of the hall here. And um, I approached her. She was very new, been coming a few weeks. I was like, hey, how you find the King's Arms? What was it? Or why is it that you're coming along? And uh, she said to me, oh, well, I just, I love the music. It's like, it's like a rock concert every week. I get to dance. I get to party. I really love being here. I said, like, oh, that's amazing. What, you know, what do your family think? She said, oh, well, they love it. Apparently, they've been praying for me for 20 years. There was, a, uh, there was a lady who, in the same sort of, sort of time frame, was being baptized. So she stood up, and uh, she was giving her testimony just before she got baptized. And uh, she said as part of it, she's like, yeah, you know, I was really pleased to kind of be here. And, and these guys, my family down here, are particularly pleased because they've been praying for me for 40 years. Isn't it incredible? Actually, God responds, and he listens, and every single prayer that we pray is worthwhile. 
Now, I know that sometimes, actually, we're going to pray for a duration. We're going to hold on to God and his promises. But there's also occasions when God instantly responds. And I love those moments, too. Uh, Katie was telling me recently, and there was a, uh, she, she was starting to write down a list of people that she wanted to pray for intentionally. Okay? And so one of the people that she wrote down was a lady called Hannah. And she was a, a, a student. We good? Shall we go with this one? Oh my word. Listen, that was a cool story. <laughs> Can I say as an aside, if you want to get close to someone, if you want to build relational connection with them, you should pray for them and you should pray with them. If you want to invest in your marriage, then you should be praying with and praying for your spouse. If you want to get closer to your kids, you want to invest in them, then pray for them and pray with them. This is the case for friendships. This, is the, this can be the case for family. No matter who you are, work out. Who can you be praying for? It transforms the relationships around us. Well, I'm going to give you my second Greek word, which is not because I'm very clever, more because I was impressed with it. This Greek word is called deomahi, all right? And it means to pray for and beseech the Lord, all right? I don't think we use that word often enough. Beseeching, okay? Now, beseeching means to beg or to plead or to implore of God. This is what we're going to try and do, okay? So my question is, how is your prayer life right now? Is there much beseeching going on? Because in reality, I realize that mine hasn't had. And yet I want it. I want to be stirred to be able to deeply connect with him. So how do we pray? We know we want to pray from a place of compassion. We know that we should because it makes a difference. But how do we go about doing it? Well, Jesus said in this passage, pray to the Father to send out workers into the harvest field. And that means that we should be praying for believers to be active and to be brought into the lives of those who are far from him. Because God, we believe, can organize people's footsteps to connect with one another in amazing ways as we ask him and obey him, especially when we're exhibiting the characteristics of Christ. So when we're demonstrating love and patience and grace to other people. Now, what's interesting about this is that one, yes, we should be praying that God sends out workers, but we should also realize that every single one of us has the opportunity of responding to somebody else's prayer. Because one person might be saying, God, would you send workers? Would you send Christians? Would you send influential people to love my friend, my family member? 
you're right there with the opportunity of doing the same thing. I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago, at one of our Alpha nights, I met an amazing lady called Bev. Right? Now, Bev came in, and um, she had got a really bad back. She'd had a car accident in September. She'd um, kind of been r- running to the back of it to the point where she wasn't able to sleep comfortably at night, and she couldn't work on the allotment that she'd had for 60 years. Okay? So, you know, amazing lady, really lovely to have met her. Wasn't a Christian. I got to pray for her that night and pray for her back. And praise God, the following week when she came back, she said that she's been sleeping absolutely fine, the pain's massively reduced, and she's back on the allotment. Love that. Do you know the reason I'm telling you that story, though, isn't actually nothing to do with that. It's because of the fact that what I was so impressed with is my friend Suzanne. Because for many years, Suzanne has had the allotment right alongside Bev. And she has been a worker right alongside her, loving her, listening to her, connecting with her, building friendships with her. And actually, she invited her to come along to Alpha to connect with us. And it is a massive privilege to know that there are people like Suzanne who are loving and connecting with people in the everyday, noticing when that allotment didn't get filled and actually my friend Bev hasn't been there and making sure she reaches out to her. The second thing we should be doing, guys, is praying for believers to have a boldness when they speak and demonstrate the gospel, okay? Now, I would say there's been many times in my life when I've missed opportunities because of fear to demonstrate and and, and declare the gospel, but I don't want to be in that position. And people with courage can stir us to do incredible things for God. So I remember going out into town with my friend Josh, and he was convinced on that day that there was someone who he was going to meet whose favorite drink was a hazelnut latte, right? So he goes into Costa, buys a hazelnut latte, and he starts walking around thinking, right, who is the person whose favorite drink is hazelnut latte? And he approaches someone, he's like, hey, just check in. It's your favorite drink, a hazelnut latte? And uh, the response was, uh, uh, no, I don't drink coffee. <laughs> so he's like, all right, can't have been that person. I'm going to try someone else. He goes to someone else. He's like, hey, just checking. Is your, is your favorite drink a hazelnut latte? And uh, at this point, this person, the person's like, uh, no, uh, and, uh, and I wouldn't take coffee from a stranger anyway. And it's trying to get really awkward. He's approaching five or six different people, and the coffee is getting colder. And he's like, I don't know whether I'm even going to be able to give this thing away. So he takes the brave step that he decides to go and stand in the busiest cross-section right in the center of town, right outside some of the really big department stores, walks into the center of this area, lifts the co- coffee high, and he starts shouting, top of his voice, does anyone have their favorite drink as a hazelnut latte? And I'm really awkward right now. So I, so I go and stand at the corner, and I film him, <laughs> because it was all slightly embarrassing, right? So I'm kind of filming him, and he's standing there. And the thing is, it's not that it happened straight away. It was like 10 seconds went by, he's still shouting, 20 seconds, I reckon it was about 40 seconds. And then someone walked up to him and was like, I'll take the coffee. Now, I don't know whether he actually did it because he wanted the coffee or he just had sympathy and wanted to shut the guy up, all right? But he took the coffee. And uh, in that moment, in that moment, Joshua was able to say to him, hey, do you know what? Actually, the reason I did this is because of the fact that I felt like God wanted to connect with someone who wanted this coffee. And so could I just pray for you real quick and tell you why I was doing that? And he got to pray for him in the street. How cool is that? Now, I know, with that pitter patter of applause, honestly, I know that not everyone, you're all freaking out, aren't you, that ask you that I'm going to get you to stand up with coffees. No, I know that not everyone is going to do that. Right? I recognize that that's not everyone's the way they're wired. But let me tell you about another lady who came out on the streets with me in that same window of time. Her name was Hannah. And um, Hannah had come out with me, but she was super nervous. The idea of talking to someone on the street completely freaked her out. And so oftentimes she'd be alongside me, but I would do all the talking. She would just kind of be there politely smiling and so on. 
But I, I was out with her for maybe 45 minutes, and then she went off with somebody else for the last little while. Now, maybe an hour later, we got back together as a team to ask the question, how had people gone? But Hannah wasn't there, and I was a bit worried about it. So I said, hey, look, where is Hannah? Turns out she was in Next, and she'd found a gentleman who, whose shoes were absolutely busted up. They were uh, tatty torn, should have been thrown away years ago, that kind of level. And what she decided to do in her courageous step is that she said, look, I want to take you into next and I want you to look and you can choose any pair of boots that you want. They're on me. Now, it was provoking for two reasons. One, because of the fact that I realized that if I was doing that, I probably would have headed to Primark and not next, right? <laughs> Just showing that I'm a little bit tight, but no. But the fact that she wanted to express generosity at the same time as she was expressing compassion and do you know what? Courage looks different for different people. In that moment, she was taking a courageous stop. You know the most amazing thing about that story, which you can clap for, is that that very Sunday, his name was Norman, came to church with Hannah and was the first person to respond to the gospel when I gave an altar call. I love that. You know, we should, we should be praying for workers. We should also be praying for individuals. Circumstances in people's lives can point people to God. So what I want to do is I want to take every circumstance and see how can I build a bridge to connect them to God through it. I'll give you an example. Okay? I remember being by a castle mound and uh, approaching this kind of young family who was there and uh, just having a conversation with them. And the lad was playing football and, and his, his sister who I started to get into conversation with. And uh, so I said to her, hey, uh, is there anything I can best pray for you about? It's a great question, by the way. How can I best pray for you? You can stick that in your pocket and use it this week. Now... She said, well, you know, I'm broke, I'm skinned, I, I need some kind of lottery win or some kind, of, uh, some kind of huge amount of money, okay? So I was like, great, let me pray for provision, okay? That was the need, the felt need that she was in. And so I just prayed the simple prayer, God, you know, I know that you love this lady, would you provide for her in every which way, okay? Now, just as I was finishing the prayer, her phone rang. And she disappeared off to go and answer this call. I'm speaking to the, her brother, and praise God, I actually get to, to share Jesus with him, and he wants to pray a prayer to receive Jesus. Very cool. The reason I tell you that story, though, is that then his sister wanders back over. She's not going to believe this. Someone's just offered me a job, and I didn't even apply for a job. How cool is that? God responds, okay? And we should be praying for those felt, felt needs. The last thing I would say in the midst of how we can specifically pray is let's pray for people's hearts. Hearts that are going to be soft. Hearts that are going to be ready for God's word to be planted, just as seed is. So just a few chapters on in Matthew 13, it talks about how uh, when the gospel is shared, it's like seed that's been scattered. But it can be overrun with weeds and land in rocky places and be scorched by the sun. But actually what we want to do is pray that people's hearts would be soft well fertilized, well watered, so that when we share with them and when they have the gospel and the beauty of Jesus shared with them, it's transformational. Guys, I want to bring it in just with a couple of things to share and then we're going to take communion together as a response, okay? In this devotional plan, there is a section that looks like that. There's also an image of it on the screen behind me. Now, this gives us the opportunity of praying specifically for people that we want to bless and stand with. I would encourage you, when you get one of these, to fill in half the names of people who you want to pray for who are Christians. People who could be um, workers who are going to step into the harvest, just as we've been asked to. People who you can pray, would they have boldness and courage, and would they demonstrate, and you can connect with them. And then I would also encourage you to have half of those names as people who don't yet know Jesus. Whether that's friends, or family, or the local butcher, or bin man, 
whether it's someone who is a colleague of yours or a schoolmate, write those names down. And let's pray specific prayers, just as Katie did, for those people. Matthew 19, 26 says, With God, all things are possible. Now that verse is actually thrown around all over the place about all sorts of different things, but the context of what it was said was actually that it would be said of salvation. Those of you who know me well will know I came to faith in my mid-twenties, which means all that time connected, I had no idea that God existed. And yet here's what I want to say to you. I'm so grateful that my grandfather prayed for me. I'm so grateful that even though I only knew him for maybe six years, that he laid hands on me and asked that God would bless me because I trust that that made a difference. Never let go of the fact that he is calling us to pray. We should be grateful that people have prayed for us and we should be praying for other people. All right? Here's how we're going to respond, friends. We're going to take communion. Now listen, we've got sort of six or seven minutes, I think, to be able to do this. And here's how I want to land it, okay? Galatians 2 says, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we take communion, we remember Jesus' sacrifice, his shed blood and his broken body on our behalf. Guys, it, wasn't, it was just done for the world. It was done for us. And I wonder whether from that place in groups just now, we can take communion and we could ask that God would stir us with his compassion and make us send us out just now both to pray and to demonstrate his kindness. Does that sound okay?